Hello and welcome. I am Kim Keen, host of the One of a Kind You podcast. I started this podcast to share my journey with my past self, a woman who was struggling with leaving her teaching career and adjusting to stay-at-home mom life, to help other women with their motherhood journeys or their work-life balance journey so they can let go and make themselves a priority without all the sacrificing. And so if you are a regular listener, thank you so much for taking the time to, to tune into another episode. And if you are new, welcome, welcome. I am so excited that you stopped by to check it out. And so Typically, I read a journal entry of mine and reflect on what I know now as a certified life coach and what I wish I knew then in the thick of the struggle. But today, not this time, I have Jen back. She's been on One of a Kind You before. She is coming to chat with us again about more things, empathy, and navigating them. If you feel that you're an empath or even a highly sensitive person, um, especially this topic is going to be great. It's kind of going to relate to holidays. And so... um, Thank you, Jen, for coming back on. It's an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you, Kim. I'm so glad to be here. And I can't wait to be, I just can't wait to talk about holidays and sickness and all the stuff we were discussing because I, I mean, this is the time of year when it's the gift that keeps on giving for sure. So thank you (laughs) for having me. Yeah. So Jen, for our listeners who maybe didn't hear the previous episode when you came to chat, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You're an author and you're a healer. So tell, tell us all about you. So since the last time I came, you and I had a conversation. I am now an award-winning author. My wow. Book has, Congratulations. So I'm the author of the both best, you know, bestseller um, Empathic Mastery that is now a three-time award-winning book. And Empathic Mastery, the subtitle is basically a five-step system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success. And it's all about navigating the world as a highly sensitive empathic person. I'm also a master trainer for EFT International, where I teach people how to use tapping or EFT, emotional freedom techniques, to really change their own life and help other people to change theirs too. And I am also a mentor and a healer and just a guide for other highly sensitive empathic people, especially women. And uh, I'm just, that's pretty much, you know, the nutshell of who I am and what I do. And I'm just really happy to be here again. Yes. Yes. And so, um, your book is on my list to read when I have winter break. So I'm super excited about that. I've got it marked. I'm ready to go. And so, um, it's, I've been counting down the days cause I'm super excited to read it. And it's now I'm even more intrigued that you have all of these awards for your book. Yeah. yeah. It's very, very exciting. I just, I, and for anybody who's a writer, I didn't know this, but like, if you want to get a book award, you have to submit your book. Like, duh. (laughs) Yeah. I just kind of had this fantasy that like somehow the universe would just find it. And like, you know, that the way book books got awards was that they were just discovered. But the truth is that like so many other things in life, you have to put yourself out there and submit it. And then it's like, it gives you an opportunity for them to read it and go, oh, this is really good. We're going to give it an award. But I just, I don't know, that to me is kind of such an indication of life of like, you know, life rarely just happens or like, you know, you just, you don't necessarily go into a, um, what it was at a diner in Hollywood in the 1930s and get discovered, you know, it's like most of the time we need to take a little bit more proactiveness in terms of putting ourselves out there. So, well, I had no idea. I thought that 
that's how things happen the way that you did. Like it's out there and yeah. someone discovers it and you get an award. I didn't know that you actually had to submit for the you award. actually have to submit for the award. And it just, to me, that is such a metaphor for life. It's like, if you want something, you have to put yourself out there for it. So yeah. 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 100%. Although yeah. sometimes it feels easier to sit in the, the dreamland of like, oh, one day it's just going to happen. Right. 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 Well, and the thing about sitting in the dream is that when you're sitting in the dream, you're sitting in the infinite. There is no restriction. There's no, there's no, there's no re- limitation. There's a no, and there's actually, and there's no requirements. You can yes. just imagine what's possible. And when you say yes to something, you are also saying no to a lot of other things. And mm-hmm. I think that, I think that that's the thing about going from the dream to the, to the commitment is that when we commit, we we are, we sort of accept limitation as well as possibility. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the dream is just like anything is possible and that can feel really good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the limitations are what's scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the, it's not the possibility that's scary. It's the limitation. Well, and the, and the fact that in order to do one thing, you are probably going to need to make changes and let go of some things that are no longer serving you. And I mean, as human beings, I don't know. It seems to me that we are not in general as a species, particularly good at adapting to change. Yes. Yeah. We like what we like and we like to keep it going that way. Yeah. No rock in the boat. No rock in the boat. Let's keep us comfortable, which kind of fits into talking about holidays. Yes. And the fact that, you know, and, and one of the things that we were sort of starting to talk about, but that I've really noticed in working with people is that there is such a tendency, especially around the holiday season, to succumb to the social pressure to do all the things. Yes. And, you know, and for moms, especially it seems like there's so much pressure because I've heard from so many of the women I've been talking to who have kids. They're like, I just want the holiday to be really good for my kids. I want my kids to really enjoy it. I want them to feel special. I want, I want the holiday to be special for them. I want them to have these magical memories, these magical experiences. And it seems like so much of the pressure and the responsibility to make like the holiday season, like this, I don't know, like, like super, you know, five-star event on steroids. Yes. This Pinterest worthy experience. Yeah. Like this Martha Stewart curated Pinterest worthy experience where it's like, you're watching like the Hallmark movie and having this, like this, this just so like peak experience of the holidays. And it just seems like so many people and especially moms and women are just put themselves through so much pressure to go along to do all the things. And while you're not only are you trying to like get all the presents and get all the cooking and do all the things and go to all the shows, but then there's also a million parties and a million obligations. And some of them are things we don't even want to do. And yet people are, are doing them. And you and I were talking before we got on, on camera, on, on mic here on the recording about just like these moms or these people who are like sending their sick children places because they don't want the kid to miss out. And Mm -hmm. I was saying how I was talking with a client who went Christmas caroling the other day. And there was a mom 
was whose kid had woken up with a fever and the mother was like, oh, I just gave her some Motrin so or some Advil and the fever went down. So I figured they were OK. We would go to the holidays. And yet oh, it was obvious the kid was sick. The kid wasn't in good shape. Yes. And then you were talking about this happening with another kid around you. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's, it's like it's not a peak experience when a child is like sick with a fever. And, yeah. and droopy and miserable and just being dragged from like from one Christmas pageant to the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we, we do that because we don't want it to be a reflection of us. You know, we're worried that people are going to say, Oh, you're irresponsible or you're a bad mom or, you know, Oh, you, you're being dramatic, whatever the case is. And so we succumb to that peer pressure of doing things that, maybe don't really sit well with us, but we do them anyways. Yes. Yes. Well, and you know, you were talking about succumbing to the peer pressure and this is something about people who, and for anybody who wasn't listening to the last episode, you know, I'll just clarify that when I'm talking about somebody who identifies as an empath, an empath is a person who is picking up the thoughts, feelings, energy, sensations, uh, sometimes physical issues that are coming from the world around them. Mm-hmm. But unlike an intuitive or a clear or, or a, you know, a psychic or a medium where all of those people, all of those abilities, we pick up something from the outside, but we know we're picking it up from the outside. Empaths, when they are especially don't have any tools or resources, experience the things that are coming in from the outside world as if it's their own. Like we filter mm-hmm. all the information as ours. But what I've noticed is that, you know, everybody, I think, goes through a certain amount of social pressure to perform, to, you know, like to to be kind, to be good, to do Christmas or, you know, Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever holiday you're celebrating to do it in the right way. But I, mm-hmm. what I've noticed is that for empaths, there is this other piece, which is that if we are not conscious of what we are picking up, we will be picking up on other people's um, like anticipation of disappointment and Mm -hmm. then their willfulness of like, I don't want to be disappointed. Therefore you have to come to my party. We pick up on the will of other people, like what they want Mm -hmm. us to do. And we can feel that willful exertion. And as a mom, if you've ever been, or in my case, as a dog owner, if you've ever been in a situation where you've got a child or a dog where you're like, I need you to do this thing right now. And it's like, internally, you are like beaming will at them where you're just like, this is what you are going to do for me right now. And, you know, and the thing is that we do this to each other all the time. Empaths are more vulnerable as adult empaths are more vulnerable to picking up on that willfulness coming from other people than somebody who is sort of your average muggle who might be aware that there's social pressure, but they don't feel that willfulness coming at them. They, and Mm -hmm. so you, you know, and they don't feel the, the sort of preemptive disappointment coming from that other person. And so empaths, a lot of times feel that pressure coming from that other person to like, I don't want you to disappoint me. I don't want you to hurt me. I was really counting on you being at this thing. And so a lot of times we'll go against our own better nature. We'll go against what we know to be true for us because we're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings or not just afraid of hurting somebody's feelings, 
but we don't want to deal with the discomfort we feel once they are disappointed and uncomfortable. Yeah. And so here's the like perfect example of me as an empath and my husband who was not. So um, my, my oldest daughter is 13 and my younger daughter is 10. And for my whole lifetime, um, at holidays, especially Christmas and Thanksgiving, I would start at my dad's house. I would go to my mom's house. Then my dad would pick me up. We'd go to my stepmom's family. And then as an adult, that same thing started happening. And so my daughter is 13, my daughter's and We've never had Christmas just with my two kids and my husband and me. We, every Christmas morning, sometimes my in-laws spend the night with us Christmas Eve and wake up Christmas morning, even though we don't really want them to, but I, we never say no. And then my dad will come over for brunch and then we go to my mom's house and we stop back at my dad's house and see my stepmom's family. And then we go home and it makes for a long day. If my in-laws don't spend the night, my dad comes for brunch, then my in-laws come for lunch. Then we go to my mom's house then we go to my dad's house and then we come home. And so this year, my daughter, my 13 year old said, I would really like it to be just the four of us for Christmas. No one on Christmas Eve, no one on Christmas all day, just the four of us. And so I was like, oh gosh, oh, that's going to, that's so uncomfortable for me to say. And Pete was like, I think it's a great idea. And I was like, it's a great idea. I was like, yes, let's do that. And so I told my dad, he was like, okay, no problem. I'm sure he was disappointed. My in-laws are traveling for the holiday. And my mom, who is in from Arizona, I know she was probably super disappointed, but she said, okay, no problem. Just tell me when you want to do Christmas. However, my stepmom, not okay. So a couple of weeks ago, they came to see my daughter, Lily, my 13 year old at marching band. And the whole time she sat there and berated my husband about how, you know, she doesn't have off. We're not going to see each other on Christmas. When are we going to see each other? And, and Ryan's work schedule, because my brother's a UPS driver and he's not going to be around and we're not going to see each other. And how are we going to have Christmas together? And this is blah, 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 a million miles an hour. Now, when it was Thanksgiving time and we might not have been able to see them on Thanksgiving day, she said, no problem. It's just a day. It doesn't matter what day we actually get together. It's about spending time with each other. But for some reason, Christmas, she is not taking that philosophy. And so my husband very nonchalantly said, yeah, we're, you know, just hanging out home, the four of us. So we'll figure out another time to get together. So then a couple of days later, she sends a text to everyone in our family well, Christmas is just a couple of weeks in a way we need to figure out who's bringing what. And she includes me. I don't respond because we've already made it clear that we're not coming. So meanwhile, I'm texting in a different chat with her, my dad and my two brothers to figure out when we are going to see each other and do our, our brunch. So a couple messages in, she says, are you coming to my house for Christmas or not? And I was like, I thought I made it pretty clear. And so I, so here I am, Miss Empath, not wanting to disappoint and feeling the will of my stepmom. I go to yep. my daughter. I'm like, are you sure mm-hmm. you don't want to go to Noni and Pops's for Christmas in the evening? We could be home all day and then just go to Noni and Pops's at night. And my daughter was like, no, nothing, not all day. I was like, okay, I'll tell Noni, you know, Lily says she just wants to be the four of us and we're honoring that. So it's just going to be the four of us. So then Lily's like, you're making me look like the jerk and blaming me. I'm like, I'm not trying to blame you. I'm just being honest that it was your idea and we're all on board. So that was like a classic example where my husband was like letting it roll, not phased at all. 
me empath i'm like i felt the will of you her felt and the i will. could feel the irritation i could feel the disappointment and the anger and the frustration and i was like oh it's more than i can take let's right. make it stop but and we're holding we're holding firm oh and sometimes you know holding firm like recreating new habits as empaths <laughs> The first couple times we do it, it sucks. Like there's just no getting around the fact that it is hard because the thing is, if these people are used to getting their way with us, if like, if they're used Mm -hmm. to pitching a fit and having us like, like maybe we say, well, I was thinking about doing this and then they have a temper tantrum and you, and so then you backpedal and you're like, well, maybe we could do this or maybe we could do that. They know that if they are overly, if they get overly emotional, if they do get like obnoxious about it, if they do put pressure on you, you will succumb, you will succumb to it. Like you will, you will just fold. And so the first times that we start saying, no, I mean it, this is really what I'm going to do this time. You come up against all of that pressure. And the thing is, they're going to double down and they're going to double down and they're going to double down because it always worked before. And so Mm -hmm. it really takes like that standing firmly in your truth and being like, you know, sucks to be you, but this is the way it's going to be, you know, too bad. So sad, not doing it this year, but it does mean anticipating that you're not, that, that these kinds of people are not necessarily just going to take no for an answer, because that's the other thing about boundaries. In my experience, reasonable people respect boundaries. It's actually not mm-hmm. hard to set boundaries with reasonable people. Yeah. It's hard to set boundaries with unreasonable people because unreasonable people do not respect boundaries. And so you say, mm-hmm. we're not coming for Christmas. They treat it like it didn't even exist. And you get yeah. text message after text message being like, hey, what kind of food are you bringing? Like they will, they will gaslight you either consciously or unconsciously in a way that makes it seem as if you never even set that boundary. And the hard part of that is that it can really end. The thing is, not only are we up against their will, we are also up against their distorted perception of reality where their convictions are right and true and accurate. And so Mm -hmm. then we'll like, you know, going back to the story about like, the whole thing with that, the mom who brought their kid caroling, it's sort of like, on one hand, you're like rational mind is like, you don't bring a kid with a fever to a party with a bunch of people. And it's, you know, like, you just don't do that. Like period, you know, you just don't do that. Yeah. But then there's this like, but then you come around the person who's like, well, I gave them the Advil and they were fine and they seemed totally fine. And I didn't want them to miss out on this, this Christmas experience. And then as an empath, it's like you start almost like you, it's like you're smelling the fumes, you've drank the Kool-Aid and you start questioning your reality and going, am I being unreasonable? Is this, are, are things different than I thought they were? Is this different? Like, and so a lot of times, not only do we feel their will, do we feel their disappointment? We feel their emote, all that emotion, but we also pick up on their cognitive distortions like we pick up on their convictions which mm-hmm. mean in, in with in a world where they believe they are right and that they and that they are completely reasonable with the requests that they're making or the demands that they're making more accurately yeah 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 
Yeah. And it's interesting because, um, my stepmom is used to getting her way. And for so long, I've just gone along with whatever, because I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want the discomfort. I didn't want the drama and the conflict and all of that, because there's, you know, been a lot of that in my life with my stepmom in the picture and my dad. And so, um, so I always like, I feel like I tread lightly and I kind of just roll over and I let whatever is going to happen, going to happen just to keep the peace. Um, but I thought, no, you know, it's really unfair to my daughter and us as a family that we've never had that time, just the four of us. And my daughter is 13 now, and I only get, you know, five years until she's like officially an adult and is off to college. And then I get my younger, but that time's going to go flying by quickly too. So I'm like, no, we're going to take this time and we're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And it's not my responsibility to soothe her emotional outbursts, her frustration, her anger, none of that. Like, that's not my, that's not mm-hmm. my burden to carry. So mm-hmm. I just was like, this is what we're doing. And I owned it. Um, and then she hasn't said anything else again about it. And I'm sure after Christmas, when I see her, we're going to get a comment like, oh my God, the white elephant gift exchange was so much fun. You guys missed out on a great time. Those things that I'm going to say, oh, maybe next year. Exactly. Maybe next year. And It's just like, I, and I love how you were saying, you know, when you stood firm in your conviction, she, she sort of knocked it down because so often, um, you know, the, I mean, the leverage a person like that has is their emotions. And if we get sucked into their drama, then they know that they've got an angle with us. If we're like, wow, sucks to be you too bad. So sad. Sorry that this is so hard for you. Uh, We're going to do what's right for our family. It's sort of like they get to deal with, they get to have their temper tantrum and the people who are around them who are still going to try to fix it, they may be doing it, but it really gets to be kind of like, we get to drop it. You know, something I was thinking about too, with, with traditions and things like that is that it's so fascinating how we also come up with or, or grow up with like all of these family agreements and rules about what we think mm-hmm. is the way we're supposed to do these things. And I come from a similar, so first off, not only did we have like the in-laws, you know, like both sets of grandparents and family members. And I come from two large families on both sides. My parent, my, both my mother and father had a number of siblings. And so it was like, Christmas was this time where it's like, you know, starting at Christmas Eve and going all the way through boxing day, like a three-day event where it was like, you were going from one place to the next, to the next. And on top of it, Christmas day is my birthday. So you're a Christmas baby. I'm a Christmas baby. Oh, I love it. It's, it is, it has been, I will say as an adult, what's really wonderful about it is that I am always with people I love on my birthday. And that is something I really adore. But, you know, I realized like, we take for granted, or we assume that the rules or the traditions that we grow up with are like, like the way it is when really it's simply what we did. And like, Mm -hmm. I was really lucky because the something my grandmother set up with my family many years ago was that we would alternate between family members would either do Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving day and then Christmas on either Christmas Eve or boxing day, or we would do 
not do Thanksgiving with the, that, with that, we do fa- Thanksgiving with the other family, the in-laws, mm-hmm. and we'd have Christmas on Christmas day. And that gave it yeah. us a little bit of wiggle room, but still, there was still this expectation of you're going to show up with these relatives, with these relatives, with these mm-hmm. relatives. And it wasn't until I was much older, like adulthood, where I started to question, like, who said, like, who said, yeah. you know, things like you have to go to church on Sunday morning, or if you have one family member or one, one in a marriage, you've got one person who was a grew up going to church every morning and another family member who was used to sleeping in and reading the, uh, the New York times and doing the crossword and like drinking coffee at one o'clock in the afternoon or something. It's like, neither is right or wrong. But you can have so much friction when you have different expectations based on what the rules were or the agreements were within a family. And a lot of like, you know, you can end up with a family member who's very hurt and very kind of like just sure that, you know, you're breaking the rules when it's not we're not breaking. These are just arbitrary rules for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100 percent. And that's something that, you know, my mom is dealing with now. My, my mom is not an empath. My mom is codependent. So there's a mm-hmm. difference there. Yeah. Um, but my oldest stepbrother, he doesn't come around, um, except for at the holidays, especially Christmas, because there are gifts. And so my mom has a pool. And so usually what will happen is he'll come over a time or two in the summer to swim. And then we don't hear from him again until Christmas. So this time he didn't come over all summer, never reached out to my mom. I think my mom reached out to him maybe one or two times and said, you know, pool's here, water's great. You should come bring the kids. And he has six kids and the oldest is 30 and the youngest is eight. So a lot of kids, huge age range. Um, But typically the kids that come to visit, well, Christmas, the, um, the second oldest boy all the way down to the youngest come because mom and Darlene gives cash. And so, but in the summertime to come swim, it's usually just the younger, like the four youngest, um, or sometimes just the three. And so my mom hasn't heard from him since basically last Christmas. And so she's like, you know, do I tell him, do I not tell him? No, you do not reach out to him period. She's like, well, you know, his feelings get hurt. Because when he finds out everyone else was here on Christmas Day, and I said, the difference is, is that they reach out to you throughout the year. And if he says something, you can say, they asked me what we were doing for Christmas. You did not ask. And she's like, oh, I don't know. So that's like a codependency perspective. But as empaths, we deal with the same thing. Yes, it looks very exactly. similar. There's an, and there's an incredibly fine line, I think, between codependent and empath. And, you know, like one of the theories I have is that, you know, in terms of the idea of codependent and like our tendencies to rush into rescue to try to fix the issue, you know, it, I, I don't know, like this was like, for me was just a door opened when I realized that we feel better when other people feel better that Mm -hmm. as empaths. And I think this is true with people who are codependent is that we don't do the fixing or the rescuing or the making stuff better because we're just somehow like compelled to do it. We do it because we feel better if somebody else is feeling good and we feel lousy Mm -hmm. if somebody else is feeling lousy. And so 
I mean, in this case, it definitely sounds like there's something else going on in terms of it was like, it's not like, like this person has anything to do with them. So it's not like she's picking up on their distress or their pain or their worry as much as she's anticipating like, oh my God, what if this person is upset that I left them out? And it's the perceived, the the possibility of conflict, the possibility of conflict. And actually that's a really interesting comment. I wonder, and I'm certainly, you know, not a, not a, uh, not a, not a, world, you know, not a, not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV or some kind of like neurosurgeon or something. But I actually, I wonder if one of the distinctions between being an empath and being, and just, and being quote, just codependent is that empaths are picking up on the actual emotional engage, like the actual stuff that's going on with other people outside. Whereas maybe what makes something codependency is the anticipated emotions as opposed to the mm-hmm. actual emotions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think for me, I think that's the distinction. Um, because my grandmother, my dad's mom is also codependent mm-hmm. and a lot of her stress and everything is perceived or the possibility of. So, um, my dad and my uncles don't care for her boyfriend. And, um, that's a whole nother story in itself. That's codependency from all angles and then some. And so whenever his daughters come to visit him, because he lives with my grandmother in her house, it's another issue. But whenever they, the daughters come to visit, my grandmother's like, don't tell, don't tell, because she doesn't want, it's the perceived worry of the anger and the frustration and the disappointment that my dad and my uncles are going to feel and direct towards her. Um, but then she won't say to the boyfriend, like, no, your daughter and granddaughter can't stay here because it's also the perceived worry and the perceived possibility of upsetting him. So my poor grandmother lives in this constant state of worry because it's always perceived of someone being mad, someone being upset, someone being disappointed, someone being angry or frustrated or whatever the case may be. But it's always a perceived or the possibility of it could happen. Yes. Yes. And living by that anticipation. And, you know, I think that I was, I was working with somebody earlier where we were looking at their need to take care of themselves and their anticipation of one of their family members, like emotional reactivity to it. And the thing is they have legitimate roots to this. Like they, this, the other person is a bully basically. And when Mm -hmm. they don't get their way, they pitch a fit. And so the thing is that this is a person who is an empath for sure, but simultaneously is experiencing codependency. And that's the thing. You can be an empath and be codependent and you can be codependent and be an empath. Like they go together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and And the thing is with this, what we started looking at was like, there were all of these like seeds or roots that were holding up this entire thing where they had had multiple experiences from the time they were pretty much like an infant on where if they did not do what this other person wanted them to do, that person would pitch a fit and the rage Mm -hmm. that they would face got to be so terrifying that it got to the point where instead of 
trying something and then dealing with their with their the person's rage what they experienced instead was self-policing constantly in mm-hmm. order to avoid that rage but often yes. even if they were starting to veer slightly off path or do something that that the other person disapproves of they would start getting those those whiffs of rage and that undercurrent of disapproval and so it's like it's so it's so complicated in the sense that we play so many games with each other about mm-hmm. like i'm going to be unhappy because you're not doing what i want you to do and yet you know for me one of the most important things about empathic mastery is in really recognizing that every single one of us is 100% responsible for our own feelings that i am yes. not you know i am not responsible for making you happy or not happy it's mm-hmm. like if your if your joy is dependent on whether i show up at your christmas party or not you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself because I I cannot be responsible. Like I'm responsible for my happiness. You're responsible for your happiness. And yet Mm -hmm. I think we are, we have been living in a culture for probably many, many generations, if not thousands and thousands of years, where there's this false idea that another person can be responsible for our happiness. And, you know, and, and then there are those of us who take responsibility for other people's happiness. Yes. And it's, I just had a similar conversation with my assistant. Um, you know, she was remarking at how some people will constantly complain that they're unhappy. And, you know, and I said to her, that's a choice that they make to go to that environment every day. If they're that unhappy, like that's their choice. They can choose to leave and go find someplace else to work or be or experience if they're that unhappy, but they are making a conscious choice to come every single day and expose themselves to whatever misery or unhappiness it is that they are experiencing. And so that was the other thing that was hugely, I'll say kind of eye-opening for me was that I had a choice. It was my responsibility to manage my own emotions, but I had a choice in what I let in and what I didn't and who I exposed myself to and who I didn't and for how long. So I started, you know, you mentioned boundaries. I started saying, okay, when I'm with this person, I can be codependent crazy. So let me limit my time with this person. So for my own happiness and taking responsibility for that rather than continuing to expose myself to that person or that situation and then being miserable and complaining and bitching about it. Yes. Yes. Well, and something you said that I was thinking is, you know, just because we recognize we need to make a choice or we need to make a change doesn't mean it's going to happen instantly. And, you know, and sometimes recognizing that we are miserable in a situation means that we need to start putting things into motion in order to leverage our way out of a situation. And so just because you are like, I don't like this job that I'm certainly not saying, and I doubt you are saying, okay, then quit it. Like sometimes what it means is that you're like, I'm not happy with this job. 
I need to start thinking about what would make me happy and what is it going to take for me to get out of this job and what is it going to take me for, for me to go someplace else so that I'm not just doing a lateral move where I'm just, you know, I've, I've moved from one, like taking a geographic cure from one miserable work situation to another miserable situ work situation, because I didn't look at what was causing, like what was going on under the hood that's making me tick. Because the other side right. of it is why are we miserable in it? Is it because we're being conflict avoidant? Is it because we are picking up on the misery of, you know, other people's misery and taking responsibility for the things that we sh shouldn't be taking responsibility for? Is it because we are not setting boundaries or limits? Like there are so many, and if we don't look at why are we unhappy and what are, what's our part in it, then even the doing the geographic cure of an external change to a new job, we're not going to be happier until we mm -hmm. look at what's really making us tick and why are we feeling this yes. way? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So it can feel hard to put boundaries in place. Yeah. And so if someone's like, oh my gosh, that's it. I don't have, I don't have good boundaries. What is something that they can do to start putting boundaries in place? Is, oh. that, a, is that a tough question? I, I you know, <laughs> probably yes not. It's probably a rhetorical question. So, I mean, I think the thing about boundaries is that I, what I would say is start with the easy wins. Mm -hmm. Don't start with like, don't start with the boundary with the mother-in-law who's going to pitch an absolute fit. Maybe first step is, you know, I mean, and the five steps, five steps of empathic mastery. The first step is always recognize. We have to recognize mm -hmm. what's the truth. So maybe we're recognizing like, oh, this is a situation where this person really pushes my buttons and this is really difficult. And if I say no, I'm going to have to, like, I'm going to be dealing with a raft. I'm going to be dealing with a raft of stuff that is going to come up as a result of it. So I need to, A, acknowledge the relationship for what it is. And I would say, first off, like working on learning how to set up some energetic boundaries mm -hmm. where we are creating sort of some, some filters and shields that mean that we're not necessarily walking in like it's 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 basically it's open season on Kim but instead right. the, where we're coming into a place and things like okay I know I'm going to go into the situation but I only, I'm going to set a hard boundary about when I'm going to leave. I'm going to pre-frame mm -hmm. the leaving time. And yes. so there's things that we can do that will uh, start to allow us to do, start to allow us to set boundaries. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be like, for example, one of the things that I've noticed when it comes to family gatherings and holidays, and I actually created a I actually created a, um, a sort of a little guide called, you know, um, holiday help for empaths that sort of has strategies for how do we navigate the holiday season. And one of the things about it is that if we do not, you know, Ben Franklin said, basically said something like, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail, except that he said it yes. in older English, you know, so it was actually failing to plan is preparing to fail. But when we don't plan, we will be set up for, we're set up for way more failure. So even something as simple as, okay, I'm going to this, I am going to this, this event or this party. 
And I'm choosing to go, even though it's stressful, because Mm -hmm. I don't have the, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with the conflict right now. So for me, the lesser evil is to show up, do lip service and get the fuck, excuse my language, get the hell out of Dodge as fast as I can, you know, with like, just sort of like to, to do what I need to do, but to be mindful of sort of doing the least amount necessary kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of show up, go through the motions, thinking in advance about how much time can you emotionally afford to be around a certain person or in a certain group or a certain space, and then count backwards. Like if I am going to be arriving at this time, or if I need to be, say we have, you have a dog or something, and you need to be home by a certain time in order to make sure that the dog gets out. It's like, okay, we need to be on the road by six. And I know I cannot tolerate being around this person for more than two or three hours. Then that means that I really need to be like, okay, we're going to be showing up at three in the afternoon. And just even knowing the time, like having a sense of like, okay, if I need to be home by this, then I need, and it takes me an hour to drive, then I need to be on the road by this time. And Mm -hmm. I know that this may be like, duh, like this may sound utterly like, like so obvious, but I will say for myself, thinking these kinds of things through, like the logistical boundaries of like, what do I need? That is something that I think makes a huge difference. The other thing to go back to saying, pick the simpler wins. What I would say is start practicing setting boundaries with people who respect boundaries. Like if you have Mm -hmm. people in your life where you notice that you are just going along to get along, but you have certain friends or family members who are actually pretty agreeable, just experiment with saying no to low ticket items. Like just Mm -hmm. start with practicing your no on things that don't really matter and develop the no muscle because Mm -hmm. there will come a point where, you know, it's like you, as you stretch and you grow the no muscle, there comes a point where you will have to say no about something that will be scary. And what I can say from my experience is that every time I've had a new level of boundaries sort of initiated in my life, there is a point where it's like my voice, I am shaking in my my boots and my voice is wavering as I'm saying no, but I am doing it and I'm holding strong with it. And I think it gets easier to stand in the no if you've practiced it on the simple things before. And also how we say no, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, One of the things that I've noticed comes up for a lot of people, and I think as empaths, we're so afraid of disappointing people and we're so, uh, we're so uncomfortable around other people's disappointment. We offer a lot of excuses. So when we say no, we don't just say no, we go into a story about why we are saying no and what it is, why we can't do something. In my experience, what that story or that excuse does is it opens everything up for debate. When we Mm -hmm. give a story to people, people then see it as something that they can debate, that they can counter, that they can look for solutions around with you. If you simply say, that sounds wonderful. Unfortunately, that's not going to work for me. Let's find another Mm -hmm. time to do it. Or, you know, I really wish I could. Unfortunately, I already have plans. 
that these are the kinds of things that we can start. And the thing is, don't just wait until the event happens to start practicing your nose. Like actually look for, you know, and you can find, like if you Google, you can actually find like lists of ways to say no. And I actually created for, you know, one of the things that's in the Empathic Mastery Academy is um, I have a sort of a cheat sheet for the members of the, of the EMA that's like 20 ways to say no. And just all of the ways that we can sort of graciously say, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled that you thought of me. Unfortunately, we already have plans or, oh my God, I would love to do that. And my plate is already so full with all these other things that are going on. Please let's circle back around in a couple months. Like there are so many ways that we can say, nope, not interested, not going to happen without it necessarily having to be a major, uh, like, crisis. Right. Or coming across, I think, you know, coming across of um, disappointing the other person. You know, if we just say no, oh, they're going to be disappointed or upset or frustrated or whatever. But when you use, I'll say, a warm no, a gentle no, it doesn't create that thing that you're so worried about it creating. It doesn't. And the thing is, you know, the other thing that for me that I really love is, you know, with certain kinds of events, like for example, if somebody asks me about doing something and they're asking me like fairly close to the event, and I literally already have plans. I really love to remind myself that, you know, I, I, there's two, there's actually three sayings that really help me with boundaries and with not getting sucked into the codependency whirlpool. One of them is just Nama Circus, not my monkeys. Another which I one, love. Which I, lo- I love that. Another one is, you know, this person has a higher power in their life and I'm not it. Like reminding myself yes. that I am not responsible. Like they have, they have a higher power. They've got a guardian angel. I am neither of those things. It's not my job to fix it. But the other thing that I love, and I, I love it so much. And when I used to own a brick, the brick and mortar tattoo business for 20 years, this, I, I kept swearing one day I would get a cross stitch sampler that said this, your poor planning does not constitute my emergency. Oh, I love it. So often what we feel is somebody else's urgency coming Mm -hmm. at you often because they did not plan in advance. So like if somebody is reaching out to me two weeks before an event and saying, oh my God, by the way, we're having this thing. We'd love it if you could come. And I've already got plans or I was planning to wash my hair and take a nap and I I just don't want to go. I can easily and comfortably say, oh my God, that sounds so awesome. Unfortunately, we already have plans or I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to make it. We have, or we have, we already have plans or that sounds awesome. I already have plans. And what I remind myself of is if somebody is giving me this information, like at the zero hour, it is not my job to change my life, to bend over backwards, to change my schedule, to change everything, to accommodate their emergency or their sense of urgency. That's about them, not about me. And the other mm-hmm. thing is, if somebody really wants me to be at something, my sincere hope is that they would have the wherewithal to tell me 
this is really important to me. You being here really matters to me. I would really mm-hmm. love for you to set aside the time in your calendar so that you can be at this event or at my wedding or at this, at the, you know, at my kids christening or whatever it is, you know, so that some of that is also like on the other person to be honest with you Mm -hmm. about the fact that it really matters to them that you're there. And even then we still get to decide, does this work for me? Am I comfortable with this? You know, and you were talking about like just sort of the, your, you and your assistant having this conversation about people, you know, sort of looking at the choice to be happy. And I was having a conversation with another family member who was dealing with a somewhat uh, challenging situation with another family member. And they were all, and, and it was, we were texting back and forth and I'm kind of like, you get to decide, are you going to let this person derail you? Are you going to let this person completely throw you, throw you off? Or are you going to be like, not my circus, not my monkeys, just because this person is having a temper tantrum and acting like a nut job does not mean Mm -hmm. that it's a reflection of who I am and what I'm about. And it's so, and, and unfortunately, these two people are so profoundly enmeshed with each other that when I basically mm. said, not your monkey, not your circus, they were like, well, actually, it really is my monkey and my circus. And I'm kind of like, actually, it really yeah. isn't. It really yeah. isn't. But if, okay, if you want to believe that for right now, knock yourself out, you know, come back to me when you're ready to talk about not letting this person continuously drag you around uh, by the net by, I don't know, like by the nose ring. And, uh, you know, like, and when you, when you put your own needs before in, in engaging with, or letting this person's drama just completely derail you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, you know, the biggest thing and the other, you know, going on, adding on to that is the thing I realized is, you know, putting boundaries in place is that, you know, if I put a boundary in place with someone and they don't like the boundary and they choose not to continue having a relationship with me, then that person really wasn't serving or meant to be in my life anyway. The people who are respectful of the boundaries, even though they may not like them, are meant to stick around. And so um, the other thing too, is that typically when we actually put the boundary in place, almost everyone is understanding. Even Exactly. The you think aren't going to be, or who aren't necessarily really close to you, they're usually understanding. It's like, oh, okay, no problem. Because they're not reading into it the way that we're reading into it. Well, and you gave an example with your family. It's like your mom and your dad, um, like all of these different family members were all like, oh, okay, no problem. You are dealing with one family member who basically took it personally and decided to pitch a fit. But most of the time people will respect our boundaries and, and, you know, you, I'll take it one step further with when you have somebody who does not respect your boundaries to me, not only is that about, they don't belong in our life, but it's also, if somebody cannot respect your boundaries, they are giving you very valuable information about who they really are and what yes. they, and their and their value of the relationship. And if mm-hmm. anything, when somebody violates your bound, when you said, when you say no to somebody who's violated a boundary 
and then they try to violate it again and they gaslight you there. To me, that is like doubling down on the evidence that this person is toxic and is Mm -hmm. abusive and does not belong in our life. And I mean, I know people who have even done this with like family members, like people who have said, you know, I am dealing with like people who decided to basically put like their borderline narcissistic mother on blackout who went, you know what, this person, this relationship is toxic. This is causing me harm. And I choose to say no. And so when people say things like, well, I couldn't possibly because they are this, Mm -hmm. I I would beg to differ. If somebody is causing, if it comes down to your sanity, your mental and emotional health, as well as even maybe your physically health, physical health and, and people pleasing and keeping that person happy, what's more important, your life or their happiness, which will probably go, which probably, I mean, if they're, if they're the kind of person I'm imagining they're going to be, it's not like you showing up for Christmas is necessarily going to make them happy. Like if they're a super drama, right. queen, they will find a way to have a temper tantrum in the middle of the event anyway. Yes. Yes. And I think that's, you know, such a great place to sort of wrap up. It's like, accept, acknowledge the boundary that you need and know that you have a conscious choice. And you don't have to sacrifice yourself for someone else's happiness because ultimately your happiness is what matters most. And so that right there should be the biggest motivating factor to start setting boundaries, small ones. So that way you can work up to the boundaries that are bigger, that feel more challenging to implement. Yes, absolutely. You know, and there's a saying, it kind of applies here. I'm sort of going to, I'm going to kind of extrapolate or, or take it and throw it out there. But there's a saying that I really love, which is you can save your face or you can save your ass, but you can't save both at the same time. And I think, you know, the bottom line is our boundaries are about saving our ass and being codependent and, and people pleasing is about saving our face. And the thing is that you, you know, at a certain point, we have to put our ass as the priority. We have to put our self-care. We have to put what matters most to us. And I think, I mean, with this entire three years of lockdown and pandemic that we've gone through, I mean, the prices have been high. There are Mm -hmm. literally people who are now dead as a result of going against their better, their better judgment or their intuition, you know? And so I do think it's like, when bottom line, it's like we have to do what nourishes our soul, regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not somebody is going to be upset or disappointed because we did not come to the gingerbread house making party. Yes. Yeah. Or the caroling or whatever else, you know, exactly. people got going. Yeah. 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 So, oh my gosh, Jen, this was another amazing episode. Thank oh. you so much for being willing to come on again and oh, chat with Kim, us. Oh, Kim, this was such a pleasure. And I mean, talk about a timely conversation. I just so important yes. right now. Yeah. Yes, 100%. If you found this episode helpful, please feel free to share it with a friend because the more the merrier. And if you'd be so kind to leave a review because they take the time to read all the reviews to ensure that this podcast continues to be a place of guidance 
really a resource and a place of support because let's face it, us women, we have got to stick together. So thanks again, Jen. And I will see all of you next week. Kim, thank you so much for having me.